Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, Civilized Barking, Zach Jackson and Jason Lloyd talking Browns. So as we record, um, we are two days from the Browns playing in their preseason opener. It won't be most of the frontline Browns. We'll get to that. Um, so we are about 12, 13 practices into camp, a little over two weeks. It's too long. It's dragging. Um, they need this preseason game. A lot of guys do. A lot of them don't, and they won't play. Um, Jason, we've you've been out to camp several days. I've been there every day, um, except yesterday's kind of closed one. Um, you know, this has been a successful camp because it's been a boring camp, right? Look around the league and see the injuries and the multiple guys on the COVID list and the drama that's going on with holdouts and with um, other issues and look at the Browns jogging through for an hour and 40 every day. And that's pretty good. Right. So, um, you know, there's a bigger week coming up because the, the game always changes something. Um, it, there's a scheduling quirk. So the Browns actually have two days off after the game to shake up the depth chart, the rotations, the stuff they're working on. And the Giants come in next week, so there will be action. But um, I'm assuming you agree with my sentiment that so far pretty boring is pretty good. Yeah, Cleveland is not accustomed to boring when it <laughs> comes to, to its football team. Uh, a, a few more soft tissue injuries than I, I would like. like. Seems like a couple of positional groups have been depleted already. Uh, but really, you know, I think I think it's fair to say the general thought right now is just get healthy for Kansas City. Just get everybody healthy and upright for week one. None of the rest of this stuff matters. I mean, obviously, you know, the positional battles, the bottom of the depth chart, it certainly matters to those guys at the bottom of the roster. But in terms of Miles and Baker and Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and, and certainly Denzel Ward, given his injury history, just get these guys healthy and ready to go week one and just survive the preseason at this point. Yeah, I mean, I know Kevin came out and, and acknowledged injuries, minor ones, for for Denzel and for Miles, but the fact is there's no better week to get them the hell off their feet than this week, <laughs> right? Like, what what are you really going to accomplish with those guys? Um, not a whole lot. 
And really the story of camp, the one I, I keep leaving it out because he hasn't been there since the second day is Tech McKinley not being here. Um, he was not going to be a starter, but the Browns thought that he would bring some juice to the pass rush. And they planned to be scoring. They planned to be winning and playing from ahead. And they thought that, that Tack McKinley in a 15-20 to 20 snap roll um, would juice up that pass rush and, and would give them options with Clowney and Garrett moving to other spots and, and occasionally getting a rest. Um, he left a couple of practices with what the team called an illness. And then it was he wasn't there for personal reasons. Um, it's my understanding he is it's personal reasons that are keeping him away. And there is zero idea on a confirmed level if he's going to be back. So um, we'll see. Next week they have to start cutting guys five at a time over the next few weeks. That's a change from from previous years. So maybe they would have to go to like the reserve left team list or something with him to preserve that roster spot. But um, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is if you're Porter Gustin, Joe Jackson, Cameron Malvo, who was running with the starters, for these guys the preseason game is good because the Browns go Garrett and Clowney, who are total freak shows and then really absolutely no one else proven uh, in that pass rush rotation. So when does this when, – when when do you start sounding the alarms over Tack? If he's not here by when, do you start saying, okay, Last what's week. going on? I mean, if, if a guy misses more than two days, then then he's away, away from the team, right? Um, yeah, so, so we're still four weeks away. What's today? August 12th. And so that the game is on September 12th. But – if he's not with it to be with the team, you know, I, and again, I don't know exactly what it is, but right. you're sounding the alarm over tech and, and, you know, Port Augustine is a great story and has given the Browns quality snaps. He has not made a bunch of plays. Um, you know, Malvo has been well-traveled practice squad XFL type guy. Um, Joe Jackson played some snaps last year. You know, he, he did make a couple of plays, but, you know, you need a pass rush rotation, right? And, you know, they were counting on on Tack McKinley. I, I said all along, you know, him being signed on the second day of free agency was was really head-scratching. But it was just if you looked at it, if they signed him on May 15th instead of March 15th, you'd have said good signing. He was a bonus piece all along. But, um, you know, I guess what I'm saying is until or unless Kevin Stefanski comes out and says Tack's good, he wants to be on the team, and he'll be with us in a couple of days, then then you've sounded the alarm and you have to proceed like you're not going to have him. So that even further, I mean, you know, all along, I think my concern has been the middle of this defensive line and are they strong enough right up the middle? And now when you add that concern on the on the edge, suddenly, given Jadavian Clowney's injury history, there's not a whole lot of depth up front anymore. No, no. Um, everybody wanted to crown Malik McDowell. He's hurt too. You know, that was always a flyer. Yeah. You're looking at Jordan Elliott, the second year guy having to take a leap and, and Tommy Togiai, um, the fourth round rookie who they like, but you know, you might be asking him to play a whole bunch. So, you know, I like the Malik J Jackson signing. He, he's a really accomplished player in the NFL. He's 31 years old. So, um, so yeah, I, I said all along that the defensive line was one injury away from potentially being a disaster, and, and that kind of stands. Now, losing Tack, assuming you lose him, it doesn't make that. But, you know, if a Miles was to go down or if a Clowney was to go down or if Malik Jackson, um, you know, is is not a really good player, then, yeah, you, you have big question marks. So I guess I would say this. 
Jason, and I think you would agree with this just from your observations and knowing this team. Um, you look out on the practice field, there's there's an embarrassment of offensive riches, right? It, it hasn't clicked every day. It doesn't have to. Um, if the Browns are going to win, you don't want to live this way, and you're not going to live deep into January this way, but, like, they can still win, the, win games the way they did last year, which is just keep scoring, right? Um, you would love leads to be safer, and, and you would love to be able to get to 24 points and think you're going to win the game. But for me, in terms of the Browns winning 11, 12 games, winning the division, you know, you, you know, really living up to the hype and establishing themselves as a real contender when when the time comes for that, it's it's more the offense than the defense. But but yeah, these are legitimate concerns about you know the defense being better and giving you a chance to win these games. Someone that we didn't see at all last year has heard again, Grant Delpit. What is going on with Grant and how concerning is this? And when do you think, because I, I was really anxious to see this guy after the buildup last year, obviously, and then missing the entire season. And now here he is out again. At what point has that become a flag of this guy can't stay on the field? Yeah. I mean, you know, he had about five practices last year and this year he's had about three. So what can you expect from him early in the season? The answer would be nothing. Right. Um, you know, now that injury alone, or even that with Harrison's injury, which has been about two weeks now, is not overly concerning because you signed John Johnson to shore it up. But you look at those other two guys in terms of taking safety from a major weakness into a strength. You look at those two guys with their frame and their ability to kind of line up in different places, and you would say this is this is where this defense could get different, right? And they don't have those guys out there. The starting safeties every day at practice are John Johnson, who's been awesome, and Javante Moffitt, who's a second-year undrafted guy, who I still don't have making the team right now, even though he's worked with the ones for a week and a half. Now, that doesn't mean that he won't, and I'm not dissing Javante Moffitt. I'm just saying <laughs> the Browns had Sheldrick Redwine. They had Ronnie Harrison. They have Grant Delpit. They drafted LeCount in the fifth round. At no point were they planning on having Javante Moffitt out on the field, right? So, yeah. yeah. You know, it's it's okay. Ronnie's got a hamstring. Ronnie's an accomplished NFL player. We don't need him out there. Um, Redwine's probably not helping his chances being hurt. And Grant Delpit's chances of – this doesn't mean Grant Delpit can't help the Browns at some point this year or have a great career. But in terms of early in the season, using these three safeties to keep guys fresh and to make yourself different. I mean, because that's what Joe Woods said last year. So when we lost Delpit, that was our only guy that could do the things that he did. So right away, we started having to shift the things that we do. So we don't have an answer on how they're going to play defense. And JOK is trying to make up for lost time now. He's he's kind of a safety, even though he's a linebacker. But yes, um, having Grant Delpit come back and get a hamstring injury, in addition to already being on a pitch count because of a major injury, um, has has set him back significantly. And like I said, it, I think the DB's coach said yesterday he's had nine competitive snaps as far as team drills the whole camp. I mean, for a guy who's essentially a rookie and they have to be delicate with anyway, that's yeah. a guy that needed preseason games, even 10 snaps, 15 snaps. And he can't even get to a practice. Yeah, that's that, that's a negative. Okay, so John Johnson, let's talk about him because I was at a practice the other day and that was one of the first things you said. I said, what do the safeties look like? And you're like, well, John's the only healthy one and he's been fantastic. So what have you seen out of out of Johnson and how 
how do you think he's going to fit in with this defense this year? Uh, I think most plays that I watch him, he knows exactly what the offense is doing. <laughs> and some of that is the plays are scripted and, and you know, he's, but like, that's what they signed him to do. They, yeah. they signed him to be the free safety and bring that presence, but also because he's versatile enough to line up just about anywhere um, and they can blitz him and they can match him up with certain guys in this team, as we know, has not covered a tight end since the 1964 title game. So um, they, they're, that looks like a hit early. And, and to the point that, like, I, I wouldn't even bring him on the trip, right, <laughs> to the first preseason game. But, like, just just his presence on the field, um, he, he looks like he makes your defense better. And, and when you look at this, you know, I think one thing we're all guilty of is not just overplaying training camp or, you know, I mean, we're watching guys play football, so we're, we're evaluating what we see, right? But, like, when you have a real weakness, which the Browns did in pass coverage and specifically at safety, and you address that with a huge upgrade, that makes everybody better, right? If John Johnson can line up the slot corner and linebackers and they get that communication down and they know that he's not just going to be there but be there to where he can intercept the ball or undercut the route and disrupt the whole play, I mean, you're talking about Johnson and Clowney and eventually JOK as disruptors that they just didn't have last year, right? So yeah. so that that's what's really exciting. I mean, the format of training camp is to watch the pass catchers and the pass rushers, right? That's just what you see. They're not in pads every day, and those are the standout plays when you're just standing on the sideline or sitting in the bleachers watching, right? But, like, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Clowney, Garrett, and John Johnson are the absolute – um, standouts from the first two weeks of camp. And the fifth best player has been Case Keenum, quite frankly. Yeah, let's get into that a little bit. Um, Baker's not playing against Jacksonville. That's probably I, – I mean, I don't think it's – I was a little surprised, but then again, why bother? Like, if he's just going to go out there and play and play the first series, then why play him at all? I, I don't – you know, I understand the thinking behind that. And Kevin keeps saying we're going to be smart with these guys. Uh, any surprise at all to you that Baker is not playing in this game? Uh, and who else do you think will not even bother to dress against? The yeah, Jaguars? I mean, if if no Baker, no Jarvis, right? Um, so we're about two or three hours from Kevin finding out, you know, saying if any of the starters are going to play. That that really goes to the offensive line because no Baker to me means no Jarvis, and there's no reason to play Kareem or Nick Chubb. There's just not. Uh, there hasn't been. And, you know, one of the things that's really clear in this camp is that Kareem Hunt is not the number two running back. Kareem Hunt is a starter. He is with the starting offense. He does not go in there and take reps with the twos, right? He They split reps, and he has some plays where he goes in. So I think all of those guys, Jason, I think Clowney and Garrett, you know, Anthony Walker's back at practice, which is a positive for the Browns. Why would you put him out there? He's a five-year pro. You know, I don't know about John Johnson. I do know about Denzel Ward, but – Again, I just think you let Greedy and Newsom play. Um, it's especially big for both of those guys, Greedy being a year and a half since he played in a football game and Newsom being a 21-year-old rookie. All right, but I, I think I'll actually be surprised if he plays the starting offensive line at all. I, I just think there's no gain, and, and the theme of camp has been let's just get our work and get out. And I just think you put the other guys in and let them play and, and let them get that evaluation. Uh, fair to say Baker's been erratic camp this year i don't want to draw any long-term conclusions of it it's only a couple camp practices but uh i know i saw him miss receivers badly in the few times i've been out there and you're like yeah that's sort of been the, the theme of camp this year 
yeah, the, the accuracy has been, been really poor. So, um, with the exception of a couple of days, um, a couple things on that one, it's early in camp. Every play is scripted guys. And so the Browns are work. That means they're working on new plays. That means they're working on plays that they weren't good at to start with. Right. And that means they're probably drilling down plays in a three or four day sequence. So the John Johnsons of the world know what's coming. Right. Right. And the other thing I would say is that in 2019, when Baker and the Browns crash landed at this point, in camp, he looked like Johnny fucking Unitas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I'm not, you know, I'm not drawing any translations or, or burying anyone, um, you know, before you pay him 40 million, would you like to see that completion percentage up a lot higher than it's been over his first three years? Yes. Would you like to see him the ball on the ground a lot less in camp? Sure. But, um, you know, I, I just have such trust in Stefanski and that goes to Alex Van Pelt and that goes to Case Keenum and that goes to Baker who I think, you know, I have noticed has definitely been more just demonstrative in a leadership role. And this is a guy I've always talked about his body language. He doesn't hide it. He shows you. And so, yeah, there's been some tough days. There's been some okay days. There's been one really good day, in, you know, in, in full fairness and accuracy here, but consistently, I've seen him bounce around and operate with a much better outward confidence level. Like, okay, we didn't complete that one for whatever reason, or we didn't win that drill, but we're good. And the one thing that he always comes back to Jarvis Landry is still his get out of jail guy. Like every time there's a bad day or a bad drill and Jarvis is in there, they go right back to him. They still got Jarvis guys. They still got really good pass catchers and we're waiting on Odell. So uh, again, like, you know, the I, I, I don't know. I guess I've rambled enough. It's not been good most days, but whereas last year I was like, uh, "This is really bad." This year I'm like, "Okay, could, could we get to the regular season games, please?" Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of people feel that way. I was talking to someone in camp the other day who was basically like, "Let's just get through this. Yeah. Let's just get through this and get to the regular season." Like I said earlier, get everybody healthy. Let's get to week one and let's just survive this. You made a point the other day that. Kevin's practices have not been overly physical at all. That's sort of the, the way it goes um, in the NFL. It, it's sort of the standard MO now with practices. Uh, but it seems fair to say that Kevin's, most of Kevin's are, are a half a step above a walkthrough at this point. Yeah, probably half of them have been that, right? And, you know, early in camp, that's by design. You have to go five days before you can even put on the pads. But yeah, you know it's been that there. There's been a day of of popping them, and then there's a day where they just ramp down the whole last forty five minutes, and and that's to save hamstrings. You know that's that's to make sure that you're not getting anything silly where you know a, a guy gets in gets a concussion because an overzealous third team DB is trying to jump her out in a seven on seven. You know something like that. So. You just got to have your guys get your horses to the gate is, is the old cliche. And, and they're right on that track. So uh, it's been miserably humid this week. Um, you know, they, they're they going to get their conditioning. The focus level is good. You know, they're still they're having meetings. They're having walkthroughs in the morning. Installate the, everything about the process should be better, right? And so next week against the Giants, they'll ramp it up. And they'll go at it for at least, you know, they'll be full speed in at least one of those days, maybe not full tackling to the ground. I think they'll be mostly full speed in the other days. 
and those will be football practices. Um, in the meantime, it's just about getting the work done. Uh, Stefanski says it, the other guys say it, and it bears out. Like, just let me say this about Stefanski. Like, when he says practices at 225, they're stretching at 225. And when he comes out and says, we're about to work, and then today we're going to ramp it down because, you know, our focus is on a certain thing, like, it goes to that. And these big pictures should be low bar, simple things, but in Cleveland, they have not been. Right. Right. And so last year with all the stuff stacked against them, the team was eventually ready to play. They weren't ready to play in week one. Well, that was understandable, but I think this team is right on pace in terms of where they want to be for when they have to hit the gas and working on the things, you know, it's all mapped out as I keep saying. So they know exactly what they're trying to work on when, and they'll be ready. Um, when, when the real games come. So the first depth chart came out and you made a point of saying this, this is all the Browns are only doing this because they have to do it. You can't read too much into it. I don't know if there's anything terribly surprising throughout the depth chart. I was curious to look at uh cornerback where greedy was above Greg. I think a lot of that has to do with making a rookie earn his spot. Uh, wondering your thoughts on the depth chart, if anything stood out to you and if you think, by week one, Greg supplants Greedy for that spot opposite of Denzel. Yeah, no, the only thing that surprised me was um, that they didn't put or either, you know, co-starters, something like that. So um, they're going to need all those guys. And, and again, I think Greg is the better player. I, I just, I have concerns about putting a 21-year-old corner out there early in the season against anybody, let alone against Kansas City Chiefs, <laughs> right? So uh, I know in that game, you're going to be playing five, six, seven DBs a lot more than you're going to be in your base defense, right? So how that all works out, I don't know. Is it the one position battle we're kind of watching at this point? Sure. But last year, the one position battle we thought we were watching was right guard, and then Wyatt Teller turned out to be one of the best right guards in the league, and there was no competition, right? So we'll see how that goes. I mean, the only other notable thing – to me is you have to go all the way down and see Joe Jackson who played in the rotation last year listed as the fourth defensive end. But I don't know. Is he in the doghouse? Um, did they just list him in reverse alphabetical order? I, I don't know <laughs> of that. So yeah, they have to put it out because they make a flip card for these preseason games, but the actual depth chart and rotation that the coaches have been working on since last Sunday and that they'll jog through in their practice today. Um, they're not going to put that on paper. They're not obligated to, and it really doesn't mean anything because it's about who's ready, who's available. And, and like I said, the big days to me are when you come back. Can the Anthony Schwartz's and Grant Delpits of the world use this time to get right and get on the practice field next week? And then what do the coaches see based on 13 practices in a preseason game? How do they change the rotations? Who needs more work in terms of units or – certain things like the two minute offense, right? And and then which players deserve more looks in terms of getting ready to play real games. Wyatt Teller, you mentioned Wyatt turning into one of the best guards in the league last year. He spoke the other day and talked about his contract situation. Do you think and, and listen, this I mean I know I'm asking you to throw a dart here. Do you think any other extensions get done before the season starts? I think Denzel gets done. I I do. Um to me, there's two things that came out of yesterday that are not really new. And, and why it's a good guy and a good player, And I guess it's news because of um, it is his contract status. But one, Stefanski calling the plays is not news. Guys, Stefanski was hired to call the plays. <laughs> two, right. um, 
I cannot see them signing Wyatt Teller. As good as he was, he's a guard. Your quarterback and your top corner are up for extensions also. And Wyatt got hurt twice last year. So I think they would love to keep Wyatt Teller. And I think Wyatt Teller's play style fits the identity and the strength of this team. And I think keeping him eventually is probably something they would love to happen. But until you, why would you sign a guard that got hurt twice last year that just two years ago was traded, you know, at this time of year by his team? Like, you need to see it before you make that investment. And nothing this team has done. It would be completely out of character for them to come and give a guard $13 million a year right now. They already have a guard that makes 10 They have a center that makes 10 Both those guys are 30 I just think on the O-line, you got to let this play out before, before you see how it goes. Well, I was going to ask you the fact that he's three years younger than Joel. Does that factor into this at all? Sure. I, I mean, I think you can look – at the, at the contract numbers, Wyatt being the smallest one right right now on his rookie deal, and say this is probably the last year for this five O line. It just pro- that's just probably the reality. Joel and JC are both going to be thirty, and they both make uh, eight figures, right? So I, I just but I along that theme, it is a strength of your team. The Browns have heavily invested in it. They did it again by drafting James Hudson in the fourth round this year. And I just don't see why you would hurry into a huge contract for Wyatt Teller until you know that he's going to be healthy and you know what you're going to be paying the other guys at the other spots. I mean, so far in camp, James Hudson's played left tackle. Well, James Hudson's older than the starting left tackle, who's under team control for this season and three more after. Eventually, he's going to slide somewhere, right? Like, Chris Hubbard's only under contract for one more year. You're trying to get him fully healthy. He's your top backup. Like, I just... A big commitment anywhere on the offensive line right now doesn't make sense. You know, I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm processing everything you're saying, and I'm looking at the depth chart, and I'm listening to, you know, this is probably the last year of these five guys together, and we talk about the emergence of DPJ, and this is probably the last year of Jarvis and Odell together. Is this the Browns' best chance to win a Super Bowl this year? Do the hard decisions start after that? Like, is it? I'm not saying this is their only year and the window closes after this. I'm not saying that. But is this their best chance? (laughs) Of all the questions I've been asked on all the bad radio shows and all the drunken nights with my buddies, that is the best one that I've been asked. Really, it really is. Um, (laughs) Did you just call me a bad radio show? No, no, no. I'm saying that's the best question. That's the best question. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here going through it. I'm like, well, okay. If you got to start making decisions after this year on all these guys, then yeah. Again, I'm not saying this is it, but it. it I, no, I'm, I'm saying that. Like what I'm saying is, is that's a chance. that's a very valid question. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Odell and Kareem have no dead money after this year. Jarvis has minimal dead money after this year. You know, Austin Hooper still has a big ass guarantee. You just brought in eight to 12 new guys on some level to fix your defense because you think you're ready. If the defense steps up, it might be, I don't know, Jason. I mean, I think over the long term, Patrick Mahomes ain't getting any worse, right? right? He's already younger than your quarterback and he, there's a chance he's the best to ever do it. Um, do I think the Browns could absolutely be better than both the bills and the Ravens? Sure. Are they right now? I don't know that. I just think this team, given health, given its continued 
demeanor, preparation, all these things we can expect, which we never had before, will have every chance again to get hot at the end of the year, get things figured out, and be playing really well going to January. I, I think it will have those chances. Now, how do those two Ravens games go on Thanksgiving weekend and mid-December after the bye? I don't know. You know, when they lose a guy to injury, which is inevitable, is it a guy they can recover from or not? Is the quarterback going to be 62% or 68%? Is Nick Chubb going to be 1,300 or 1,900? Right? Is this the best chance? It's certainly a better chance than last year. They're a known commodity, and the defense should be better. What are we going to do going forward? How are those decisions going to play out? There's no precedent. Um, my answer is I hadn't thought about this. Again, I was complimenting you. Uh, I was kidding yeah. on the radio. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, my answer is probably yes. But the however is that I really think if you really believe in Barry and Stefanski, then you, then you think a, a window is truly opening. But, but my answer to that, if I had to choose yes or no, is a pretty easy yes, honestly. And that's, that's a, that speaks to how fast things change in the NFL. And, and, and it's, I forget who was saying this. It might have been Wyatt. Someone was saying, like, how hard it is to keep a group together because, you know, guys move on, guys want to get paid and salary cap and everything else. It's incredible to me. Like, the Browns just got good last year, and their best chance at winning it all might be this year. That's how fast things move in the NFL. It's not very long. The windows are not very wide. It doesn't. And look, um, they could get passed by the Chargers this year. You know, they could get passed by – I don't this seems crazy to say, but I'm just throwing them out there. The Dolphins, the Broncos, right? Quarterback questions. But, yeah, I think you have to strike fast. I think we look at last year as, as the year it finally came together and everything worked, and obviously they were – I mean, when you're in 2020 and you're breaking franchise droughts and records that go back to 1994 in the NFL, like, that's, that's sad because four years ago was a long time in the NFL. So 27 years ago was a really long time, right? <laughs> it's a lifetime. But I, I think – that when John Dorsey came in, they, they they started to close the talent gap and they started to be a real NFL team. And in 2019, a million things went wrong, top to bottom. You know, coach and quarterback, obviously, but top to bottom. But that was a team good enough to make the playoffs. Last year, obviously, was a team good enough to make the playoffs and they got the experience of doing it, of winning a game, of handling unprecedented December adversity. Right. And getting there and doing it. And so this year with this roster, with this offense, this offensive line and these running backs. Yeah. You know, when the Ravens went through their doldrums last year, it's really because their offensive line was a mess. The Cowboys had one of the worst defenses in football history last year and took a huge step back. But their quarterback got hurt and their left tackle wasn't there and their offense. They had a center retire. Their offensive line was a mess. As long as the Browns have this offensive line and as long as they just are are competent and smart and prepared early in the season while they figure things out on defense with the receiver rotation, with whichever guy we're not talking about now has to step up, which was Teller last year, as, as we previously mentioned, then, then again, they're going to have that chance in November because they're going to be a smart team and they're good enough. They are good enough from a talent standpoint. So, um yeah, I, I, I think I would not come out and say give up on the Cleveland Browns if they don't win the Super Bowl this year or if, if they don't 
you know, even sure. advance to the second round of the playoffs. Right. But in terms of looking ahead, the yeah, like you can realistically think, man, this should be a really huge year. And if it's not, would be disappointed on some level. Why why do you think maybe this is just an act of coaching? I'm I'm sitting here thinking about Stefanski and and how much better the Browns got. They were playing their best football at the end of the year, which is exactly what you want. You look at the Steelers, and and that was a team that obviously peaked too early and then fell off the rails. Is it is it just coincidence that Baker started to play well in the second half of the season? I keep going back to the fact that, hey, Baker looks like a different quarterback when 13's not on the field than when he is, and we need to see that these two guys can figure out how to play together. But what is it about Kevin? Is it a Kevin thing? Is it a Baker thing? Are they are they linked that this team got better and better throughout the season and was playing its best football at the end of last year? Yeah, I don't think it's coincidence at all. I think it's it was the work. I mean, I asked Baker that specifically at his camp, and he said in the bye week, I sat down with Alex and Kevin, and instead of talking about you know how such and such team is going to blitz us or you know what we wanted to do in the first ten plays that week, we pretty much laid out. Here is what I think we're good at, and here's what I'm not comfortable with. You know, and I just think the line was rolling. Um, you know, second half of the season, Chubb came back. Jarvis had had that broken rib and was, you know, had a month to heal. And I just think they got on the same page. And I'm not going to sit here and say Kevin Stefanski is egoless and perfect and all these things, but he's a damn good coach and he's different. And I just think if we were sitting here talking to him without a microphone around Jason, I think he would say, we have a bunch of really good players and I have an offensive system that I believe in. And once we got to that point of trust and confidence and taking out a couple things of the playbook and having reps have done it and having things to study good and bad. Like, of course we were good. I'm not the savior of the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns are pretty good. I, I just think it was just timing and work and smart people saying like, <laughs> let's keep it simple and let's go. And, you know, they had that, they had those three games in the tornadoes, which were really strange and obviously weren't going <laughs> to do anything for the pass offense, but that game in Jacksonville, the Jags had no DBs and Baker just kind of picked them apart. He and Jarvis, especially. And the next week in Tennessee, uh, Kevin went for the kill shot and, and Baker delivered. I mean, remember the rollout to people's Jones where he's so wide open that Baker stops yep. and lets him get more open. <laughs> right. Yep. They scored 50 some points that game. Didn't they like that? So I think it was just a matter of, you know, coach trusting the quarterback, but it, that's not certainly the only thing. It was a matter of trust of, throughout the whole deal okay so what's the next uh what's the next poll marker what's the next thing that fans should be looking toward when is the next i, I know there's a cut down coming doesn't seem that significant though when when is the next what am i trying to say when's the next the the next big day or the next big deadline or the next big preseason game or whatever that fans should have circled no the, the next week is big because you know, you, you just hope like hell that nobody gets hurt and you watch the young guys play in the preseason. And then the Giants come in and those are the two practice days where you're really going to work. And Kevin has, has said, you know, I like this because it's a competitive evaluation environment. We're going to yeah. ask guys to turn up. But he also said in a preseason, you can't control things. But he said if they're if they need to work on red zone, if they need to work on third down, you just do it right if you want to keep your starters in but put two other guys in to see them and you want to get six plays of that, you can't do that in a preseason, but you can do that in that practice. So right now it's August 12th. 
the next 10 days are the biggest of, of camp in terms of, you know, is not the bubble guys. Cause that will sort itself out, but is there a real riser, you know, as guys go through and get dinged up and are tired, who fights through it and who, when we make our game plans, you know, who's going to be in it. Right. So, so those are the ones. And like in this game, you know, Harrison Bryant, all the tight ends have to catch the ball. Harrison Bryant's going to be open on Saturday night. He's got to catch the ball. Demetric Felton's a running back some days, a wide receiver some days. Um, you know, he there's not an open spot on either group. Like, he has to make plays to make this team, right? On the O-line, Drew Forbes opted out, hasn't played in a year. James Hudson's a rookie. Um, you know, they got to go out and do it. There's this other offensive lineman. His name is Michael Dunn. I think he's more of a media creation than anything else, but he's got to get out there. And play. So, oh, did you want to talk? We'll about get to him? Michael here in a minute. <laughs> that was my segue. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's just do it. Let's just get into it. Uh, come on, come on uh, in, Marissa. Marissa <laughs> has been our producer for, on the Civilized Barking podcast since its creation, and what an absolutely fabulous story Bo Wolf out of Philly did on Marissa and Michael and their story, and and. Zach, I'll let you speak for yourself, but if Michael Dunn isn't the type of player that you want to root for, then then I don't know who is when you talk about everything that he's been through and trying to fight for his career and everything that Marissa's been through with her health, and, and we can bring her in and let her talk about it. But just, I mean, this story was so good, even the Brown staff was talking about it and, and, uh, and sort of complimenting Bo on a job well done. And, and Michael's the type of guy you want to fight for and root for. Yeah, so um, Michael was signed last summer by the Browns, and you know, he played everywhere. He played in the XFL and in the AAF, and had been on practice squads. And you know, it's it's a common journey. Um, it doesn't usually end in guys establishing careers, quite frankly. But anyway, because last year was so strange to me, he was nothing more than a name on the paper. Like in a normal training camp, I'd have gone and interviewed this guy, right? And we'd have talked about all the systems he played in and all the stops he made. Well, he was just under the radar, and the Browns kept him on the practice squad, and, and they played him at all these different positions, and they just tried to get him ready. And then the playoff game came, and he Joel got COVID, and he started, and he played really well. And, and the Browns, despite all that adversity, won. So we're in the playoff game, or you know, I'm there in person, and I have my two computers set up as I normally do, one for the podcast and to track stats during the game, and the other that I write on. And I get this message from Marissa. And it says, I have a confession. And I'm, and as Jason mentioned, we've been working with Marissa for three years. And Marissa and I have always been on good terms and friendly, but I'd never met her. <laughs> knew very little about her, right? And I'm thinking, what could you possibly have to confess to us, for one? And for two, you're fully well aware that I'm covering a playoff game for the second time <laughs> in my miserable career, right? So, like, could, whatever it is, this could better we talk be good. about it some other time. <laughs> And that, that confession was Michael Dunn is my boyfriend, and it's been eating at me. I've been leaving in Cleveland. I feel like I've been lying to you guys, but it's never really mattered, and I just wanted you guys to know right now. And so, <laughs> Jason, you actually saved the text and tweeted it last week with the story. <laughs> she was living around the corner for us for over a year. Yeah. <laughs> I drive by her apartment every single day. <laughs> I thought she was like in New Jersey somewhere. Nope. She's right around the corner. <laughs> okay. Well, let, let me, let me give my defense here. 
I never wanted to make, I never wanted to make anything uncomfortable for you guys. And, you know, I went to the best journalism school in the country, University of Maryland, Philip Merrill College of Journalism. And I didn't want any ethics to cross any lines. I didn't want to make your guys job hard, you know? So I just felt that it was, I could keep it quiet, you know? And during the playoff game, I had texted his agent, you know, there was a video out there of us working out in the parking lot and me calling plays for him. And I texted it to his agent mid game. I was like, how crazy is this? This is how we practice this week. And you know, his agent was like, I got to tweet this, all this stuff. So I was like, okay, just don't include my name in there. <laughs> but once he tweeted it, all these people started like quote tweeting and tagging me in it and all of this stuff. And I was like, oh no. And I'm sitting there in the stands at Heinz field. Like you know, you guys are great and such great coworkers. I'm like, they don't need to find out on Twitter. Like this would be terrible. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, sitting there in this empty stadium. I'm like, all right, I got to text them. So I'm like, uh, yeah. So I, I don't even know what to say, but I just have a confession to make. Um, and yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> just that's awesome. The, the story is awesome. Um, and, you know, like I told, I just met Marissa for the first time the other day. She was driving by Brown's <laughs> camp. And again, we've worked with her for years and that was, you know, because of the weird times and because of the remote ability of this job and everything else and not knowing she lived right around the corner, <laughs> uh, finally got to meet for the first time. And, and I told her, and, and I'll say it here, we never, at least I never wanted to put Michael in a position where we were, it looked like we were trying to pump him for information about what's going on. He's got a career he's trying to earn and a job he's trying to win. And, and so that was part of the reason that we never discussed it, you know, since Marissa let the secret out and why I really had no intention of writing the story because I wanted to just leave that part uh, sort of private, not even knowing everything that Marissa had gone through and, and knowing the extent of Michael, of Michael's struggles. And then when Bo put it all together, just an absolutely sensational story. Uh, so no, we don't have a mole within the Browns at the athletic. We <laughs> and, keep... and honestly, Michael does not know like anything. Like he just puts his head down, <laughs> studies film. He does not know anything of what's going on. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll just say this: I like, get most of my information from you guys, not him. <laughs> no, and I have talked to Michael on the phone one time for a story, and obviously Marissa set that up. That was after last year's playoff win. But Michael at training camp looks over to the dorky writer's section. Um, he doesn't, he could not pick me out from the rest of the crowd. He, just, he could not. He, we have never met in person. So uh, Jason, you don't know this. I, I told Marissa this. So tomorrow night I'm giving a toast for my brother's wedding. So, you know, other than work, that's, it's kind of been what I've been working on. And the other night I had a dream that I was giving a toast at Marissa and Michael's wedding. <laughs> that's fantastic. I was like, yeah, I think this is consuming my thoughts a little bit. <laughs> well, I'll bring a microwave to the wedding. Uh, there, there has been an engagement since, since yes. the, since the, uh, since the reveal in January, you guys are yes. engaged. It, what is there? There has to be a date set by now. I don't even know what it is. When's the date? Yes. It's, it's two weeks after the Super Bowl. So, oh, you wow. know, nice. we had to, we had to make sure I said, if, you know, details don't get done because you know he's celebrating a super bowl uh that would be probably the best wedding ever so as long as i have a dress um that's pretty much all i care about so i would think honestly a super bowl would be more important to the both of us than actual <laughs> wedding. fans i know you're looking forward to saturday night in jacksonville but mark your calendars february 27th live podcast outside the morris dunn wedding <laughs> 
<laughs> Civilized barking. <laughs> Roadshow. We're going to just set up all of my podcast feeds and just have a live stream all night long. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, and again, Marissa, I told you this. Cleveland is insane. Like, go ask Ryan Merritt, the Indians pitcher, this unknown anonymous guy who pitched well in a playoff game. Indians fans went on there, found his registry, and bought everything off the <laughs> registry and sent it to him. So if Michael I know. gets people into a game. People were tweeting that at the end of the game. Don't do that. Go. People can go buy gifts and donate them to charity. Like, I do not <laughs> want anybody doing that. Please, please, please don't do that. But I will say, these fans are truly, like, unbelievable. Like, I've never, I mean, experienced anything like this. Just, like, the messages, the tweets, you know, me being the journalist, I'm pretty good at like finding things on Twitter and, you know, searching Michael's name. And after the game and after the story came out, like I cried for like a week, you know, <laughs> like just such kind words. Like, I mean, such an incredible fan base and, you know, we'll see what happens here. Hopefully, you know, he can make the roster, but um, this city is really special and definitely will mean something to the two of us for the rest of our lives for sure. No, that that's cool, and I'm glad you said that. Um, it stinks coming out to training camp. Stinks, guys. I know there's only a couple open days left, but the restrictions have just made it to where it's not anything like the normal environment. But last Sunday, going to the stadium, uh, yeah, seeing, you know, I'm a cranky old man. Which, if you're listening to this, you probably know that. But I could feel the energy, and that was after a 45 minute rain delay. And this was yep. a Sunday afternoon practice in the first week of August, right? Like it meant nothing, but you could feel the energy in the city, in the stadium, and everywhere. People are ready for the Browns to be relevant. People are ready for the Browns to win. Um, it was really cool, and I just cannot imagine, Jason, what it's going to be like in September. And then if they do win October, November, and December down there, because from sitting in traffic uh, an hour and a half before a practice <laughs> to <laughs> – Watching the people sweat out the storm delay that came out of nowhere and watching them just everything about a practice where they weren't allowed to get autographs, where they weren't allowed to get close, close to the players, where the first offense did not get a first down in the two minute drill. It didn't dampen anything. And that's not a rain pun. Um, the people brought it and, you know, I feel it in, in just my conversations with, with people, uh, you know, in, wherever but being in the stadium that day Browns fans are ready and you know I hope for them that that they get a lot to cheer well I know it's going to happen in October November and December and Marissa you can say whatever you want but if you get a crock pot from Harvey and Mentor and a, a nice set of china from John and Sandusky don't be surprised that's all I'm saying they will find your registry and they will buy everything on it I'm telling you right now <laughs> I would I would rather people donate it to, you know, there's a lot of good, uh, you know, people went through a really rough year this year. And I mean, like donate it to better causes <laughs> for sure <laughs> than us. We're just happy to be here and be in this city with such cool people, including you two. So, um, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. So quick, quick programming note here. Um, we are rolling now and we will have two civilized barkings a week. Given that it's the first preseason game and it's on Saturday night, it won't be a post-game edition um, as it's been in, in other ones. But we will start to have two a week. It may be Sunday. It may be Monday. Whatever. We'll certainly be at least one centered around the Giants' practices next week. I am not going to the preseason games. Um, and that's not just because of my family commitment this weekend. 
It's just how we're doing business. I'm not going to the away preseason games, but I am going to the away. Well, Marissa's uh, going, so should she do the Civilized Barking podcast for us? (laughs) I will be in Jacksonville. (laughs) And so just just stay tuned to Twitter and the Athletic app for when the new pods pop. And, um, you know, I'll still be writing off the games. But, again, so they they have the weird scheduling quirk where they have a double day off um, so they can get ready for the Giants. And then next Thursday and Friday – are the Giants joint practices. So we've covered a lot of ground. We hope you enjoy this. We hope you'll spread the word and we hope you'll subscribe to The Athletic. For Jason, Marissa, I'm Zach. We'll talk to you next time on Civilized Barking.